Good mornings, I'm Chris Oaks, and coming up today, we're already hearing reminders about getting our annual flu shot. What's the outlook for this year's cold and flu season? Also this morning, have you ever noticed that whenever a natural disaster or other emergency occurs, communities band together to help one another? Creating that kind of close-knit, resilient neighborhood is as simple as connecting with each other before something bad happens. We'll tell you how to do that. And with the shoulder season upon us, that time after summer vacation season and before holiday travel season, Airbnb is out with their list of America's most hospitable hosts. This is the Good Mornings Podcast Edition for Wednesday, September 13th, 2023. If you are looking to get happy, uh, the folks at Wallet Hub have crunched the numbers. Uh, this is what they do, and they have compiled their list of the happiest states in the U.S. for 2023. The happiest states. So here's what they did. They basically uh, crunched the numbers on a number of uh, different metrics. They looked at emotional and physical well-being work environment, overall environment, uh, community. That's a pretty broad category, community. Uh, But then within those top-line categories, they looked at uh, factors including depression rates, unemployment statistics, the rate of divorce, which states get the most sleep, all of these things that experts say lead to happiness and contentment with life, right? So they uh, crunched all these numbers. And uh, when the numbers were crunched, Utah came in at number one this year. The Beehive State is the happiest in the nation. Um, last year's number one, Hawaii, slipped to second place this year. Maryland and Minnesota were third and fourth, and the fifth happiest state might actually come as a bit of a surprise new jersey (laughs) new jersey of all places well maybe it's because they get they always get uh, plenty of sleep they're sleeping with the fishes in new jersey i guess now actually the uh, data reveals that the state that gets the most sleep people get the most sleep is colorado Uh, they get the most sleep probably because uh it's a very outdoors state a lot of outdoor activities Uh, So plenty of physical activity to wear you out. And, of course, all of the legal weed to help you relax. (laughs) So there is that. Um, West Virginia had the highest rate of adult depression. And that was one of the key factors that put West Virginia at the very bottom of the list. So West Virginia is the least happiest state uh, in the country. Ohio, by the way ranks number 37 on the list, and Michigan ranks 33rd, which I thought was uh, interesting. Ohio, 37th happiest in the country. But we are ahead of Texas, so we always have that. This is significant, they say, because just 50% of Americans feel very satisfied with the way their personal life is going, according to the uh, Wallet Hub polling. So you could probably use a pick-me-up, You can pick up and move to Utah as the happiest 
state in the country. So, Among the first things you need to know this morning, the most interesting and buzzworthy stories of the day. Of course, the biggest story uh, in the sports world coming out of week number one of the NFL season was uh, Aaron Rodgers' injury. Uh, just four plays in to his career with the New York Jets. And he is officially out for the year with a torn Achilles. We'll see if he can even come back from that. I mean, he's 39 years old. He's been in the league 18 years. Um, One would hope that he would be able to come back because you hate to see a Hall of Fame career end like that. But uh, anyway, that was the top story uh, the first week of the NFL But one other interesting story, I think, that kind of flew under the radar, the Houston Texans and the Baltimore Ravens played uh, on Sunday. The Ravens beat the Texans 25 to 9, and that particular score has never been seen before in the history of the NFL. I I was a bit surprised by that, 25 to 9. I mean, it is unusual, but not all that bizarre. It's not like it was 11 to 2 or something like that. Uh, but 25 to 9, never in the history of the NFL has a game ended on that score. And by the way, they have a word for that kind of thing. Whenever uh, you have a unique final score that has never been seen before in the league, they call it a scoragami. <laughs> and uh, I thought this was uh, interesting as well. Between them, the Texans and the Ravens have produced seven of the league's 30 scoragamis since 2019. So, I'll have to remember that. Watch the uh, Texans and Ravens scores uh, moving forward, because there's a good chance that they might be very unique to the league. Interesting. Big, big news here. McDonald's is making some big changes at their stores. Taking back the job of pouring your soft drink. No more will you be able to refill your drinks on your own. The company, it says, plans to phase out the self-serve fountain drink stations in their U.S. restaurants by 2032. So this is not going away overnight. It's going to be, uh, they're going to be phased out. Uh, I would, I would imagine as stores remodel and update and so on, as they do periodically, the self, uh, self-serve self uh, drink fountains will disappear. Uh, now, that does not mean that you won't get free refills. You'll just um, have to go up to the counter. You're not going to get, when you place your order, you're not going to get an empty cup and be directed to the self-serve station to pour it yourself. They'll do it for you. You just have to go up and... Uh, um, some locations have already... Uh, made the transition. Uh, according to Brad Davis, one McDonald's franchisee in Springfield, Illinois, it was an adjustment for both customers and staff, but they've adapted, and that's the thing. They say that uh, with fewer dine-in customers and more uh, more to-go orders, more delivery orders, uh, it's just not that big of a deal, and maintaining The self-serve drink stations is an expense that they can eliminate, and so that's what they're going to do. So, I thought it was interesting, um, again, 
something I didn't realize. The self-serve drink stations have only been around since the early 2000s in most cases. Uh, a lot of stores didn't, prior to like 2004, didn't have the self-serve drink stations anyway. So it seems like we've been pouring our drinks ourselves forever. Anyway, no more self-serve drinks. I wonder how customers will react to that. Because, you know, self-checkout uh, at at grocery stores and such and at big box stores like Walmart um, has not gone over particularly well. And um, the idea of self-ordering at the McDonald's kiosks, I know people are not uh, real big on that idea, but I think we like the idea of being able to get up and go back and refill our drinks at our own leisure without having to go to the counter. So it'll be interesting to see what the reaction uh, to that is. Uh, let's see. This is weird. This is uh, <laughs> both weird and uh, disturbing. Uh, this is a, a story. Well, I don't know where this is. Um, it doesn't have a, a location. There's no dateline. Uh, on this story from the Newswire, a child, it says here, I just read the story, a child with a rare condition was diagnosed correctly by chat GPT after visiting doctors for three years. The doctors weren't able to diagnose this kid for three years, and the AI chatbot had it all figured out just like that. Alex is the kid's name. He was four years old. When his strange symptoms began, which included chronic pain, headaches, and dragging his left foot. After consulting with more than a dozen doctors, his mom, Courtney, put her son's symptoms into the AI chatbot, chat chat GPT, and it spit back an answer. It said, we think you have your child has tethered cord syndrome. And uh, she took that to the doctor, and they later confirmed that is exactly what he has. It is a condition that impacts less than 1% of U.S. births annually. And um, with the proper diagnosis, Alex is now recovering after surgery on his spinal cord. Um, I said, there's nobody that connects the dots for you. You have to be your own kid's advocate, Courtney says. And, and that's kind of disturbing, isn't it, that... Uh, Artificial intelligence made that diagnosis when the doctors were stumped. Hmm. I don't know what that says. Technology, technology, technology. Did you? Speaking of uh, technology, did you hear uh, Monday uh, they had a, a big crash? Apparently, a cyber attack on the uh, computer systems at MGM Resorts in Las Vegas. Uh, and it really threw everything for a loop at all of their uh, resort hotels like the Bellagio, Mandalay Bay. Uh, people couldn't check into their hotels because the uh, computers were down. They couldn't check into their rooms. And they couldn't go to the uh, casino and gamble either because most of the slot machines were down because they're now all computer controlled as well. Um, our resorts include dining, entertainment, and gaming and are still operational. According to a statement from MGM Resorts, our guests continue to be able to access their hotel rooms and our front desk is ready to assist guests as needed. So working their way through a cyber attack at MGM Resorts. That's kind of wow. And finally, among the first things you need to know this morning, the most interesting and buzzworthy stories of the day, more fast food fun, Wendy's. 
circle this on your calendar. September 18th, it is National Cheeseburger Day. And Wendy's is joining in the festivities by offering burgers for one cent. A penny a burger. And they're actually doing this from September 18th to the 22nd. They're offering their much-loved Junior Bacon Cheeseburger for just one cent when you make any purchase through the Wendy's app. And so not just a, a burger, but a burger with bacon. So can't beat that. Uh, let's see here. Burger boasts a juicy beef patty, the crispy applewood smoked bacon, American cheese, fresh lettuce, ripe tomato, and creamy mayo. Between September 18th and 22nd, you can get them for a penny uh, in the app when you make an additional purchase to celebrate National Cheeseburger Day. You're welcome, America. There you go. Some of the most interesting and buzzworthy stories, important stuff to know this morning. I want to make sure that you are informed. The interesting and buzzworthy stories to get your Wednesday morning started. WFIN News, I'm Matt Demchek. Your WTOL 11 weather, partly to mostly sunny skies today with a high around 70, partly cloudy tonight, a low in the upper 40s. The Finley Fire Department has announced the promotion of Nicholas Scholes to the rank of fire captain. In the new capacity, Scholes will be responsible for direct supervision of a crew of firefighters. Nick has been with the Finley Fire Department since 2011. He's also very involved in the community, serving on the NAMI board, honor flight guardian and medical team, and volunteering with Habitat for Humanity. Before joining the Finley Fire Department, Scholes served as a staff sergeant in the Army. Six students had minor injuries when a bus near Alliance in northeast Ohio tipped over in an accident on the same day that Governor DeWine's task force got to work on school bus safety. He's created a working group to look at ways to make school transportation safer. You have several issues. One is how do you retrofit a bus to add whatever you want to add to it. Addressing things like seatbelts, bus inspections, and risk factors. If we have to make changes in our buses, if we have to make changes in in training, in anything else, then we're going to make those recommendations. WTOL 11's Kaylee Kirby reporting. Hunters in Hardin, Wyandotte, and Marion counties have additional opportunities to harvest white-tailed deer as the Ohio Department of Natural Resources Division of Wildlife continues to monitor for chronic wasting disease in the region. The Division of Wildlife established earlier hunting seasons within the disease surveillance area to slow the spread of CWD by reducing deer numbers before the breeding season. Since the fall of 2020, the ODNR says 23 wild deer in Ohio have tested positive for CWD, all in Wyandotte and Marion counties. After being ranked third in the preseason, the Ohio State football team continues to go in the wrong direction despite winning. Ohio State coming off a 35-7 win over Youngstown State on Saturday. They drop a spot in the AP poll. They go from fifth the sixth. The Buckeyes return to action this Saturday. Western Kentucky for a 4 p.m. game. Quarterback Kyle McCord with a lot of respect for Western Kentucky. I think they're one of the best non-Power 5 schools out there, so we're going to have our hands full. I'm Dom Tiberi. Don't forget, you can always get more news online anytime at WFIN.com. Well, we're already starting to hear reminders about getting our annual flu shot, which may seem early, but September, October is actually the best time for most people to do that. Last year, at least 12 million people visited a healthcare provider due to seasonal flu. 300,000 ended up in the hospital, and 19,000 people 
died from it in the U.S. Joining us this morning with this year's Outlook is Dr. Greg Sylvester. He is Chief Chief Health Officer for CSL Securus. Do I have that uh, I have that name right? Perfect. Uh, Absolutely perfect. Very good. Uh, world leader in influenza vaccines. Dr. Sylvester, one of the things that I didn't realize, uh, but it certainly makes sense, uh, they're just coming out of flu season in the Southern Hemisphere where winter is ending. So you can look to those numbers to kind of get an, an idea of where what we will see heading into this uh, winter here, right? Well, that's right, Chris. It's not a hundred percent. It's not a one-to-one correlation, but it's a pretty good predictor. And so let me tell you what's been going on in the Southern Hemisphere. What we saw is another early season. Last year, you mentioned that September and October are the best times to get a flu vaccine. I could not agree with you more. That's the time to get it because typically flu starts to circulate in November, December, January, and February. That wasn't the case last year here in the U.S. We saw an unprecedented amount in October. Well, guess what? In Australia, they saw an early flu season again this year. The difference is with ours last year and Australia's last year, it went up and then it came down fairly quickly. It was certainly massive, but it certainly came up fast came down quickly. That's not the case in Australia. It came up fast, came down, and then it started to become sustained. Hmm. So if that's a trend, then we may need to be thinking that we may have an earlier flu season that lasts throughout the flu season. No one knows for sure, but that's not a bad prediction. And uh, of course, we're also hearing about a new strain of COVID. There's also RSV that goes around this time of year. So a lot of things that can put us under the weather. What is the guidance? How can we best prepare for the upcoming season? Well, <laughs> those are great questions. You know, a year ago, I would have had a different answer. There is actually RSV vaccines now for older adults as well as for pregnant people. And mm. so there, if, if, if someone's pregnant or if they're 60 and above, they ought to be talking to their healthcare professional about RSV. Okay, so so that's really good news. That that's something that's yeah. new that wasn't around last year. COVID was we had a booster last year. We'll have a booster this year. It will be different. It'll look closer to the circulating strain or the variant that's out there. It'll only have one variant. Last year it had two. And the flu vaccine will have four strains in it, just like it it does in in the previous several years, but those four strains are targeted to the most predictable or predominant strains that are circulating around the globe. So the best thing to do is to get to your pharmacist, to your healthcare provider, to your primary care um, professional, and talk to them about what you need for preventing these acute respiratory illnesses as we go into the winter months. And I, I know that we have talked about this uh, before, so maybe some folks remember uh, in the past when we've talked about this, but how is it that you come up with the uh, decision to include which strains in the vaccine? I mean, it's more than just an educated guess, right? It's much more than educated guess, but I will say it's out of our hands. It's not part of the flu manufacturer's decision. It's the World Health Organization, and here in the United States, it's the U.S. Food and Drug Administration. They work collaboratively with us and other people around the world collecting data from across the globe, and they look at, at what are the what strains cause the most 
severe disease, what are the most predominant strains, and that those two groups, the FDA and the WHO, meet not together, but simultaneously close mm-hmm. to one in the fall, and they recommend it for the upcoming southern hemisphere, and then they meet at the end of February, early March for the northern hemisphere. And they tell us, the flu manufacturer and the flu manufacturers, um, what four strains to put in. We put in two A strains and we put two B strains in. And those are determined by world's experts that have a, a global surveillance system that has been, that's quite comprehensive and longstanding. And again, you were talking about the possibility of another flu season that comes on very quickly and very hard early, which underscores the importance of getting the vaccine early. But really, the guidance is always to get it as early as possible, whether or not we're anticipating an an early flu season. That's right. Well, when you look at the recommendations put out by the Centers for Disease Control and Prevention, they actually say that September and October are the typical normal routine months of getting vaccinated. Now, that's not to say that some people don't come in at the end of August and get vaccinated. And that's not to say that there are some of us that actually wait until early November. Right. And I would say that if we miss this window from September to October, then I would still recommend that we go out. If we're traveling overseas in the Southern Hemisphere in, in November, we come back in December, go still get a flu vaccine. That, don't use the excuse that I missed the window of opportunity. Yeah. It's important to be vaccinated on an annual basis. And in fact, if you're six months and older, you are recommended to get your annual flu vaccine if you live here in the United States. Uh, real quickly, uh, some years past, there have been concerns over uh, the availability of vaccines, not expecting any shortage of vaccines this year. No. In, in fact, we've actually done early. Uh, we, we've sent out um, our shipments early this year. So supply should be good around the globe. And it's not just one manufacturer. There are multiple manufacturers of mm-hmm. influenza vaccines. And um, but at, at this point in time, with there no anticipated concerns about supply. So get to your pharmacist, get to your primary care, get to your local health clinic and get vaccinated. Especially for children and uh, immunocompromised adults, uh, but really everyone uh, with a, a highlight on those two groups particularly. Uh, again, Dr. Greg Sylvester is Chief Health Officer for CSL Securus. Where do we get uh, more information on this year's uh, flu season? Well, Chris, I think one way to go is is to look up flu.com, F-L-U dot C-O-M. I think that's an easy one. It'll talk about the virus. It'll talk about preventive measures. It'll talk about the vaccine. I think that's a good one. Others can go to cdc.gov, G-O-V. They'll have a, quite a bit of material, both for healthcare providers and for the lay public on influenza. But the important thing is go see your trusted healthcare provider, whether it's a pharmacist, whether it's a physician, a physician's assistant, a nurse practitioner, any healthcare professional can give you good advice on getting an influenza vaccine. Dr. Sylvester, thanks very much for taking the time. We appreciate it. A real pleasure. Thank you for having me. 
Well, September is National Preparedness Month, and uh, of course, we're thinking ahead of all of the things uh, that we uh, want to be prepared for with the winter season coming up. You know what many of those are. Research shows that well-connected neighbors are more resilient in disaster situations. And so with that in mind, we are joined this morning by the head of community for the online platform Nextdoor, Katie Kobe. Um, first of all, Katie, thanks very much for uh, taking the time. Talk a little bit about some of the benefits of of fostering, of having and fostering a a connected neighborhood in this way. And thank you so much for having me here this morning. Um, you know, the frequency, the severity, the number of extreme weather events has been on the rise. Sure. Uh, in fact, if you didn't know this, over the last 10 years, nearly 90% of all U.S. counties have had to declare some sort of like natural disaster state of emergency. So mm. that should just tell you disasters happen everywhere. We might not necessarily know where the next one is happening or when, but it is important to stay prepared. And when you are more prepared and you're more connected to the community, there's a number of different benefits. You know, short term during crises, proximity really matters. And so staying connected can really help make your life easier or frankly, in some cases, even save a life, right? We know with some disasters, emergency services can get overloaded. And oftentimes it's neighbors that tend to be coordinating different rescue efforts and that sort of thing. And then long-term, research shows that neighborhoods that are more connected are ultimately more resilient and are able to recover from severe weather-related events and disasters much more quickly than less connected neighborhoods. So it's really staying connected is just really good, uh, really good practice to make sure that your community stays strong overall. And of course, uh, you mentioned weather this time of year. That's one of the things that we think about with the upcoming winter season. And we were talking just uh, just last week or the week before about the uh, forecast being uh, they're saying maybe it's going to be a, a colder and snowy winter uh, than normal. So you start to think about these sorts of things. You have some features and some tools uh, on the Nextdoor platform that can help folks stay connected with their neighbors in the event of a weather emergency. Oh, absolutely. So we're always developing features to help folks stay connected, but in particular, especially as it relates to weather, it's important to know we've got over 5,000 public agencies on Nextdoor. These are going to be like your local fire department, maybe your local utility commission. And when you're on Nextdoor, you will start to get automatically all of the uh, pertinent updates and messages from these organizations, not just to give you information about what you might need, you know, during a bad storm, but all throughout the year, these organizations are giving out tips, advice, helping neighbors to really, you know, minimize uh, their potential risk from any storms. Um, so it's really, really important to know that it's, it's a great place to go to get all that local information. And then with Preparedness Month in particular, we actually launched a crisis hub that's designed to help neighbors um, really create their own plans. Like this year, we want to encourage people to come together to talk to 
one another. Obviously, creating a preparedness plan is not always everybody's favorite topic to talk about, but it is important, you know, um, especially in those cold, snowy winter months. You'll want to know, are there any elderly folks in your area that may be at risk um, in the event they lose heating, for instance? Mm -hmm. Um, You'll want to know, uh, does someone have an available, you know, snowblower uh, for people to use or who's going to be able to help dig folks out? So coming together in September, creating those plans is really, really important for for fostering that connected neighborhood that I was talking about. And of course, uh, a lot of this applies to whatever type of emergency uh, one might experience in a neighborhood. We're thinking about weather, obviously, this time of year, but uh, it could be just about anything. What what advice would you have or where, where would people start in terms of leveraging the Nextdoor platform to encourage this uh, uh, community preparedness, the resilience that you uh, were talking about? Uh, obviously, that's something that you know kind of has to be fostered. So where do we start in doing that? Sure. You know, I always like to say everything on Nextdoor starts with a post, and it really does. So when you first uh, join Nextdoor, you download the app, go online, um, you're going to be placed into kind of like this main feed area where you're going to see all sorts of information and posts from your neighbors and your local agencies. Uh, If you go ahead and tap that green button, that is the post button, and that's where everything starts. Um, You can use this area to ask a question, to ask for help, to offer assistance, and you really are never going to know what you know, what, what you're going to get. Most of the time people get the help that they need and then some. So I'll give you an example. Um, recently, we know that Hurricane Adalia just came through Florida about 10, 12 days ago now. Right. And um, there was a couple who had just moved to the Inverness area, which was forecasted to be hit by the storm. They were brand new to Florida, had never experienced a hurricane before. So they're, you know, following the, the preparedness tips. And when they get to the point of testing their generator, they find that their generator won't start. So they went on next door and they posted in their feed and they said, hey, y'all, we're new here. We've never gone through this before. Is anyone available? Could anyone help us get our generator started? We're, we're really nervous. We don't know what to do. Yeah. And sure enough, they were able to get connected to a couple of different local handy people. They were able to come over and get that generator going for them so that ultimately they could... Um, get through that storm and make sure that they felt safe and well, and well prepared to handle it. Perfect example there. And uh, just as a bit of a sidebar on all of this, and you were referencing uh, identifying uh, the elderly members of your community who may need a little extra help, a little extra attention. Uh, in Ohio, anyway, I know the Ohio EMA uh, has uh, is emphasizing uh, preparedness for seniors this uh, preparedness month. And so maybe that's one way that you can help uh, foster uh, this connected community is, you know, uh, get with a, an elderly uh, neighbor or family member and help them get uh, connected to the Nextdoor uh, platform so they have access uh, to those resources, either online or on their mobile uh, phone and so on. And again, the head of community yeah. for uh, for uh, Nextdoor is Katie Kobe with us this morning. You have more information, uh, more ways that folks can actively participate in National Preparedness Month through the Nextdoor platform. Where do we find that? Yeah. So for more information, you just want to go to nextdoor.com 
slash crisis. It's going to have all the tips and information and then some that we talked about today. It's also going to have all those links for you to download the app and sign up. If you're already on the app, definitely go and invite more folks. Um, we actually do have all sorts of ages that use Nextdoor. So anyone can use it. It's very easy to use. And the more people that are on Nextdoor, the more that folks are going to get connected to that really relevant, helpful information, especially during a time of crisis. Yeah, so nextdoor.com slash crisis. The, right there. the more people who are involved, the stronger that network is. And Katie Kobe, thanks very much for taking the time. We appreciate it. Thank you. This is Good Mornings with Chris Oaks on 1330 WFIN, WFIN.com and 95.5 FM. We interrupt this program to bring you a broken news alert. A convicted burglar allegedly made himself at home for two days during a break-in at a California residence while the homeowners were away on vacation. <laughs> It's one thing to to break into someone's home while they're away, but I suppose if they're on vacation, then there's no big rush. Uh, Yuri Brand, age 39, helped himself to food and alcohol, totaling $1,000 while inside the home in San Francisco on the suburb of Piedmont, uh, California. Authorities say uh, Mr. Brand broke into the home through a back door, left a huge mess. He allegedly drank all the alcohol uh, in the liquor cabinet. And took several items from the refrigerator. He's <laughs> kind of made himself at home. Hey, they weren't they weren't there. So investigators reviewed surveillance video and recognized Mr. Brand as someone they arrested earlier in the morning on the day of the burglary at a different location. <laughs> he had made he had made bail apparently, or was ROR'd. He was out again and back to his back to his same old ways. Um, so he was. A known individual to law enforcement. Surveillance footage appears to show the intruder walking inside and outside the home, uh, just kind of you know, making himself comfortable. One of the homeowners tells uh, local news reporters, kind of makes me uh, a little bit uh, on guard moving forward. Mr. Brand has been charged by the Alameda County District Attorney with burglary and trespassing. So. That make you feel a little uncomfortable about going on vacation in the future, wouldn't it? <laughs> Elsewhere in the broken news, do you hear about this? This is uh, making headlines. Uh, it's something that's kind of gone viral here. In the Montrose, Texas neighborhood outside of Houston, an electronic construction sign got a digital makeover uh, telling drivers to go F yourself. <laughs> Uh, somebody hacked into the road sign uh, that's supposed to warn drivers about, you know, construction zone ahead. But instead, it uh, had the obscene message on Monday. Uh, this happened. Um, apparently, originally, there was some uh, there was some weather in the area. and There was like, I, I don't know, high water or something. It said, uh, you know, drivers beware, be on alert or whatever. Uh, but uh, somebody... Uh, took a things took a spicy turn as uh, the sign unexpectedly uh, spat out the less than polite phrase go f yourself according to local news reports the folks at the houston public works say they don't operate the sign it's not their sign but they are working to find the owner and figure out exactly 
how all of this happened. In the meantime, a city inspector came by and pulled the plug on the sign saying that uh, they wanted to uh, silence the saucy message for for good. <laughs> all right. <clears throat> In other broken news items here from the international file, uh, there's been uh, some heavy rains and heavy flooding in the uh, Myoming region of China. And dozens of crocodiles are on the loose as a result. Authorities are warning residents to stay inside as they track the reptiles in the murky water. Heavy rains caused a nearby lake to overflow, which resulted in about 75 crocodiles escaping from a local crocodile farm. I don't know how comfortable I would feel living that near a crocodile farm to begin with, but so far, no human casualties have been reported. Local parliamentary forces have been given permission to euthanize the animals once they are apprehended. Several crocodiles have been spotted in the streets of the city (laughs) as a result. Stay indoors! There are crocodiles on the loose. That didn't get my attention. Uh, a couple of other items here. A uh, little, well, I want to say closer to home, but on this side uh, of the uh, Atlantic or the Pacific. Uh, San Diego County Sheriff's Department has arrested a woman for trying to sneak a drug-soaked letter to an inmate in the local jail, 45-year-old Misty Val- uh, Vantine, Misty Vantine was arrested Friday in the parking area of the defend- uh, detention facility in Ote Mesa, just outside of uh, San Diego. Deputies at the jail mail processing facility discovered the letter on August 23rd. Uh, It was apparently intended for one of the inmates and appeared to have been drenched in some kind of liquid. So they performed a chemical test and discovered that the stationery was infused with liquid methamphetamine. That's not allowed in the jail. They tracked the letter down and now uh, Ms. Vantine has her. uh, She gets to stay at the jail herself. Got her own room at the jail. She's been charged with uh, sending an illicit drug to a jail facility, trying to sell a controlled substance to an inmate, and criminal conspiracy. So <laughs> she is now an inmate herself. And finally, in the broken news this morning, a bizarre incident in Knoxville, Tennessee. Charles Doty, age 64, and he's 64 years old. You would think he would know better. Mr. Doty entered a Little Caesars pizza restaurant armed with an AK-47, all because his $6 pepperoni pizza was taking too long to cook. (laughs) They were taking too long to make his pizza, and he decided to encourage them to speed the process along, apparently. Uh, According to the report, the chaotic scene began when Mr. Doty was informed that his pizza would require 10 minutes to prepare. And that was just far too long. Uh, 
Becoming frustrated, he demanded free crazy bread as compensation for the long wait. Then briefly left the store, only to return brandishing the AK-47, which of course terrified employees. One worker ran to the back room and dialed 911. Uh, one of uh, the other customers in the store eventually diffused the situation by offering Mr. Doty her own pizza. <laughs> Here, just take my pizza. Just take mine. Um, that prompted him to flee before the arrival of police officers. But uh, Mr. Doty was tracked down and arrested on multiple felony counts. Um, in a plea agreement, he uh, pled guilty to four counts of aggravated assault and his sentencing scheduled for later this month. It does not say whether he ever got his pizza. That's... There you go. Uh, that is today's broken news report. <laughs> An update on the odd and unusual side of the headlines. We now return you to your regularly scheduled programming. Ever wonder what being a Finley Rotarian is all about? I'm Angela Dabosky, CEO of the United Way of Hancock County. Being a Rotarian offers meaningful connections with community leaders and to what's going on in organizations across Hancock County. To become part of an organization that brings together business, professional leaders to provide community service and advance goodwill, all part of a worldwide service club, contact Findlay Rotary at FindlayRotary.org and click on join. This message provided by WFIN. So I don't know if you uh, heard about this, but early Earlier this week, uh, there was uh, one of the big stories in sports course was uh, Aaron Rodgers going down with a, a torn Achilles just four plays into his debut in a New York Jets uniform in the uh, the Jets uh, opening game. And uh, in response to Rodgers injury, Patrick Mahomes, who's quarterback for the Kansas City Chiefs, of course, um, posted his reaction on Twitter, or X as it's now known. Uh, he said, hate that man, praying for the best. The problem was uh, his, his uh, tweet, I guess we don't call them tweets anymore, but his, his post uh, raised some eyebrows because he didn't put a comma in the appropriate place. And so the tweet actually read, hate that man, <laughs> praying for the best, instead of hate that, comma, man. Mahomes later edited the post to include the comma, but it brings up the point of today's daily download, the numbers behind the news and the statistics that shape our lives, that grammar appears to be a thing of the past in this age of digital communication. And this is not a good thing. I mean, when you really think about it, we are uh, communicating via the written word more than maybe we ever have since the dawn of audio communication. You know what I mean? It's, I mean, back in the 19th century, people wrote letters and we had written communications quite comments and telegrams and so on but then came the telephone people talked with each other and uh, so on and and now with texting and social media we're getting back to you know written communications even though we're typing them out we're not writing them physically we were typing them out but anyway the point is 
that we have lost our grammar skills in the digital age, which is kind of weird if you really think about it. A new, sur- a new survey of 2,000 people found that less than one quarter of young adults use punctuation at all in their casual conver- uh, casual communications like when they text each other. They don't use punctuation at all. Uh, less than one-fourth, less than one in four, will use uh, any kind of punctuation. And uh, contrast that with those over the age of 65, where a little over half of people always use proper grammar when texting or posting online. But still, just over half, so a fair number of even older adults don't do this anymore. 22% of those in the poll said that using correct grammar and spelling take too long. That's the other thing, not just grammar, but spelling. You know, it's too long to type out U, Y-O-U, so you just use the letter U or whatever it might happen to be. Anyway, um... 22% said that using correct grammar and spelling take too long and the meaning being convey, conveyed matters more than accurate spelling. But that's the thing. Sometimes with the grammar, you can misconstrue the meaning if you're not, if you're not careful. 16% of Gen Zers, 28% of millennial respondents always use periods at the ends of sentences. Uh, Tony Marr, of the plain English campaign says once you're used to you once you get used to using abbreviations or the wrong spellings, you eventually forget to do it correctly. And he says this is a problem because you might make the same mistake on a business letter or a formal report. It might seem like a small deal, but it could uh, cost you a job or cost you a sale or you know, something like that. So not a good habit that we have gotten ourselves into. Hate that man, not hate that man. So as we enter this uh, season that uh, travel experts call the shoulder season, we're kind of in between summer travel uh, ahead of holiday travel. Uh, This is a perfect time to talk about this because uh, Airbnb has uh, just revealed its list of the most hospitable hosts in every U.S. state. Uh, Joining us this morning to talk about that list and talk a little bit about her experience being an Airbnb host is Rachel Clark, who happens to be the most hospitable host in the state of Alabama. And Rachel, thanks very much for uh, taking the time. We appreciate it. Thank you so much. I look forward to talking to you. So, um, you know, I think maybe folks have, have stayed in an Airbnb, you know, for their summer vacation, or maybe they're planning on uh, staying in an Airbnb uh, when they uh, travel for the uh, holidays. Um, what goes into what makes uh, a, a, a the the most hospitable host? I mean, what is your what is your secret? <laughs> I don't have any secrets, but I do. Um think that people booking an Airbnb need to read the reviews and look at the ratings that the hosts have because that's their gauge to have a good trip or not. Um, You want to look for five stars all the way up to 465, 100% five-star reviews, which amazes me every day. (laughs) Um, And you got to read those reviews um, and look at the photographs, you know, 
of the of the um of the places where you're going to stay, right? Um, and that that really helped to know where to go. I think. So, um, and I'm I'm really honored to get this award. So, talk a little bit about how you got started, and and you know, because you don't start as the most hospitable host. You know, you don't start as a super host. You don't start at the top of the list. Talk a little bit about how you got started and what that process was like earning that uh, honor i kind of fell into doing airbnb um we have a cottage and a a horse barn on our 10 acre property okay we were going to live in the cottage and um so we were staying in the loft of the barn before the cottage was ready and as we were staying there i realized i didn't want to move out to the cottage because (laughs) i love being there with my family of horses which i love dearly and um enjoyed you know hearing them rustle about and right. nicker you know at night and mm-hmm. so we had to do something we had to do something with that cottage and so um, my husband said that maybe we should try airbnb and i really didn't even know much about it at that point and i said okay let's do it and um you know i had friends that said well why do you want strangers staying on your farm and you know why do you want to share your farm and and i thought you know at first yeah, I don't know about this. But then we started getting guests. And they've been the most amazing people from all over the world with all kinds of interests, all kinds of um, interesting careers and lives and journeys. And it's just enriched my life. And I've loved it. And I think the reason that, of course, that I have this honor is because of the guests. Yeah. Um- and. You know, it's interesting. I, I've stayed at a number of Airbnbs, some where uh, the host will greet you uh, right as you arrive. Uh, sometimes the host will uh, pop in at some point uh, on the day that you arrive and say welcome and, you know, and all of that. Other times, uh, I've never seen the host. Uh, how yeah. does, you know, so there are, there are all kinds of different ways of, of doing this. How does Airbnb uh, honor those exceptional hosts for their dedication to that hospitality, the making uh, guests feel welcome? Well, I think this is right. What we're doing right now is how they honor me. They let me talk about my business in this format. And I mean, where else am I going to get that? You yeah. know, so that is a huge honor that I'm able to do this and they make it possible to do that. And, um, they also have, you know, supplied a lot of support. If I have a little glitch or something with a booking, they're always somebody there that's honest and has been very common sense to solve a problem, um, which I've not really had very many because I've had such great guests, but when I have, it's, it's been very simple and, um, I really appreciate that. Um, well, that- yeah. And I think, you touched on something too about this in our area. There've been a lot of new Airbnbs that have popped up mm-hmm. and a lot of them are like group owned by, and then a management company manages them. So they never see, you know, even when yeah. you read the review, you can see they've never, they may have had a wonderful time and given a fairly good review, but they never met anyone. Yeah. And so I think to, to step it up, um, Airbnb started with, with a, a you know, blow up mattress on the sofa, on the floor for somebody, you know, that's <laughs> yeah. kind of 
you know what it's what? about. So I try to try to keep it like that. I mean, I'm not ever going to get rich off of this. You know, I'm not mm-hmm. looking to do that, but my um. I'm genuine well, in, in wanting my guests to have a wonderful time. Well, that was actually kind of one. Yeah, I'll spend as much time or as little time as they want. Yeah, uh, that's actually what I was going uh, to say. I, I don't know that I would recommend, you know, putting a mattress on the floor today uh, <laughs> necessarily. <laughs> but, you know, for, well, for those. They want it. For those uh, aspiring hosts uh, to elevate their hosting game, you know, that's kind of what I was kind of getting at. I mean, how how would somebody take that to the next level? Yeah, I think finding um, a host, finding things that are really passionate, that they're passionate about, that they love um, and and elevating that for for their guests, you know, finding an interest in them and if they have something like they like to ride bikes or they like to kayak yeah offer those things to them and show them places where to go to enjoy that um i think those simple things um are really important i make my um organic we have organic blueberries here on the farm and i like to make muffins for my guests oh while there you here go at some point and they love it i mean and i'll get a text you know, a month later, a week later from a guest, and they'll say, can you send me that recipe? And I'm, <laughs> I'm, so, I'm so, so thrilled, Those. you know, and I'm so happy to hear from them because I've had really wonderful people stay with me. Those extra little touches make all the difference in the world because, you know, anyone, and the yeah. reason we talk about that is because anyone uh, really can be an Airbnb host. Uh, you know, it, you don't yeah. have to be in a big metropolitan area. I mean, you know, you're the most hospitable host in the state of Alabama, which is a lovely state, but I mean, <laughs> it's not but it's not New York or, you know, Orlando yeah. or any of these resort areas. So, uh, where would someone... I tell you, you'd be surprised how yeah. how much we have to offer here. Yeah. It's really beautiful. But I know what you mean. I mean, sometimes I wonder, actually, when we first started, I said, when we Who's got our stay first here? Airstream camper, I said to my husband, why would anybody want to stay in this, yeah. at this field, you know? And, and then... And then they kept coming and coming, and I was like, why do you want to ask them that? And yeah. they're like, this is this is paradise. You know, you make you've thought of everything they say. Well, and, and, and is, you know, and, I can just relax and enjoy this. Yeah, and. It's just, and we've talked about the fact that uh, Airbnb has kind of launched a whole different way of traveling for uh, many people that experience travel uh, sort of thing, rather than just going yeah. to resort areas and you know the big uh, the big name places. Real quickly, uh, for anyone who is yeah. interested in learning more, where do we get uh, more information? Yeah, um, all things Airbnb are on Airbnb dot com, and they can help you become a host very easily. Um, they can you know, shoot you in a direction of where you may want to stay and you can look on there yourself and see what you're, what you're looking for and read those reviews. That's the most important thing. Read those reviews and look at for those five stars. That's the main thing. We'll get you in a great place, no matter what it is you're looking for, because there's all kinds of things out there. The world is just full of them. Um, And and then to reach me here in Fairhope, it's, stayinfairhope.com. There you go. And you can uh, find all of those uh, most hospitable hosts. Uh, coast to coast, Rachel Clark yeah. is one of them from the state of Alabama. Rachel, thanks very much for taking the time. We appreciate it. Hey, thank you so much. And hey, you should come visit us in the wintertime. You'll love it here. 
And that will finish up our podcast for today. I want to thank all of our guests for joining us on the program, of course. And remember, you can get more information about all of the topics that we talk about each and every day on the program at our webpage. Check us out online at goodmornings.net. Coming up tomorrow on the program, imagine growing up as the son of a high-ranking member of one of the most powerful and pervasive crime families in America. Scott Hoffman writes about that experience in his fascinating new, almost true story of a childhood on the inside. So until tomorrow morning, that is Good Mornings for this morning. Now that you've had a good morning, go on out and make it a good day. We'll catch you back here tomorrow.